Thank you for that. Uh, Rick Tittle with you coast to coast and around the world on American Forces Radio Network, 177 countries. It's our pleasure to welcome to the show one of the best swimmers of all time, John Neighbor, who at 20 years of, of age was the greatest swimmer on the planet. He's here to talk about Ready, Set, Gold. They are launching an eight-week virtual classroom series for the spring semester, which will be hosted by John and other top Olympians and Paralympians. John, welcome to the show. I was just thinking, when you were at Woodside High down here on the peninsula, and you decided to go to USC, which was a good choice, how much did Cal and Stanford try to get you to stay in the Bay? Well, uh, that's very kind of you to, to recall. <laughs> I do consider myself a bit of a Bay Area kid. Um, my junior year in high school, I was injured in a clumsy accident when I fell off a one-meter diving board and missed the water. And as a result, I was not really on the recruiting radar my senior year until the very last few minutes. Stanford made a big push. And I thought about doing that, but I just kept envisioning myself having my mom do my laundry, and I did not see that as a independence-growing move, so I decided to go south. Cal did not recruit, re- recruit me significantly at all, as I recall, um, so it, it, it made sense to, for me to leave town. Got you. Now, I'm, let me see, nine years younger than you, and I remember the Bicentennial very well, and I remember those Summer Olympics. They're probably the first... Um, Olympics that I, I really watched as, as much as I could. Um, what was it like that it seemed like every event you entered, you not only won, but you would set a record? I mean, were you, was it a surreal moment or were you just brimming with confidence and you kind of thought, yeah, I got this? Well, my coaches and I uh, decided well in advance what our standards were going to be at the games and what we, the, the times that we produced uh, turned out to be pretty close to our goals. So in that sense, I was very delighted. My Olympics were four years on the heels of Mark Spitz's seven gold medal performance, and I knew there was no chance that I was going to approach that. And the, the marketplace knew it as well. Um, I think most of the attention in Montreal went to Bruce Jenner, Nadia Comaneci, and Sugar Ray Leonard. And uh, I returned to USC for another year of eligibility following the Olympics, so I wasn't allowed to do any dancing with celebrities or Wheaties boxes or anything like that. And I ne- didn't really plan to, so it wasn't. I didn't feel of it as a loss. So uh, I, let's just say my times were what I expected, um, and I was very delighted to be able to represent my country so well. Yeah, I mean, Nadia Comaneci, the first to get a 10, and Mark Spitz became, well, before that, in 72, you know, with Olga Corbett. You know, I think about the big names there, but Mark Spitz ended up being a, a sex symbol. But don't sell yourself short, John. We, we know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Let's talk about Ready, Set, Gold, because uh, we do know that with the, the pandemic, and hopefully, knock on wood, we're getting near the end of it, but it's uh, everything is done on uh, Zoom or virtual, as we say, which can be nearly impossible when it comes to instructing people in something physical. So um, how are you guys going about it? Well, let me give you a little backdrop. Um, in uh, 2006, the International Olympic Committee was interested in knowing which Olympic bid cities could demonstrate the ability to leave an Olympic legacy behind if they were so lucky to be awarded the Olympics. Los Angeles, bidding for the 2012 Games, said not only will we leave a legacy if we are awarded, we'll build a legacy in advance of being awarded the Games. And the legacy we decided was to put Olympians and Paralympians 
inside classrooms motivating kids to think and act like Olympic contenders. In fact, every Olympian I've ever met, myself included, was inspired to become an Olympian after actually meeting another Olympian. And so it's this hands-on role modeling that we felt would do the best job of, of promoting the Olympic movement. And as you can tell, we've been doing it for 14 years, and it's been very, very successful, where athletes visit classrooms. And of course, COVID prevented that. And we had to figure out, like Olympians do, how do we innovate around this problem? And we decided to go online, to have virtual lessons that, uh, that would allow kids of any age to benefit from Olympic and Paralympic thinking and acting. And so Ready, Set, Gold created these programs, put them online. They're available to anybody free of charge. Just go to uh, uh, readysetgold.net, and you can register and sign up and see it all. Um, and, and it's working. Not only are we continuing to reach the schools in Southern California, but we're going well beyond that now. And the, the program is, I think, got a leg up on the competition, if you will. And we honestly anticipate kids today who watch those programs will be in the running for medals when the Olympics come to Los Angeles in 2028. A couple more questions for John Neighbor, Ready, Set, Gold. Um, when it comes to nutrition, um, and uh, we know that uh, some play, I know in, in Berkeley, California now, you can't have sugary drinks next to the register. It's too much of a, a temptation. But uh, other than uh, things like that, how do we get kids uh, the proper nutrition? Because I know that's something near and dear to you. Yeah. Uh, one of the things we talk about is don't, uh, don't feed your tongue, feed your brain. You know, what do you think, you, what do you think your body needs? And, and I have to put my tongue in my cheek just a little bit because as a competitive swimmer, you know, uh, Michael Phelps consumes 12,000 calories a day. I remember wow. putting honey on my scrambled eggs just so I'd have enough energy to get through a workout. So Olympic athletes do consume vast quantities of caloric intake, but if they're smart about it, and nowadays, you know, every, every Olympic contender has some nutritional guidance, uh, you, you realize the difference between empty calories and nutrition. And so just with a little bit of research, you can choose. I, I like the rule where you keep your shopping to the outside aisles in a supermarket, you know, where the fresh produce is rather than the inside aisles where all the preservatives and stuff sit. Um, and then as, as a former athlete, I'm learning to listen to what my body needs better than just what I want. Uh, those, are the, those are the kind of philosophical lessons we try to teach in Ready, Set, Gold. Very cool. You know, just thinking about your sport and, and how it has changed. And, you know, there was a time when swimmers were going to shave their heads, shave their eyebrows. And then, you know, the, the uh, swim trunks going from basically a pair of soccer shorts to, uh, I mean, you saw the transition into the Speedo, didn't you? Yeah, uh, well, uh, the Speedo brand of swimwear was around before I showed up. But I was in the era where swim goggles were introduced. And so the moment everybody was wearing goggles, suddenly the pool managers could crank up the chlorine. <laughs> and what that did is that, that burned off a lot of body hair for the swimmers who were competing. Now they're doing things other than chlorine. They've got ozone and salt water and stuff. But, but the, those technologies have, involved, uh, have improved. In the year 2000, Speedo introduced what's called the, uh, I don't know, the super suit or the shark skin suit, which was really effective because it was designed with fabric that shed water faster than human skin. 
So the less human skin and the more fabric you had, the faster you were supposed to go. Well, those suits were very effective, but also very expensive. And it didn't make sense for a bunch of parents of six-year-old kids to drop $300 a suit on a suit that, frankly, could be worn five or six times before it started breaking down. So those suits were made... um, uh, unaffordable and therefore unavailable in the swimming competitive market, and they 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 found a better balance. So now, as you say, Michael Phelps wore the jammers that went to from above the knee to the waist, um, and I think that swimmers are now focusing on performance rather than equipment. Got you. Last question. We just have about a minute. Did you train? to go to Moscow AD and got burned by the Carter boycott, or had you already uh, no. moved on? No, I, I, I laughingly say that Bruce Jenner and I were the only two Americans to benefit from the Olympic boycott because we were not replaced. Uh, in my era and in Bruce's era, it was an amateur era. You were not allowed to make money. And so when my scholarship at USC expired, I had to pay for my own room and board, and it was necessary for me to get a job. So I did not plan to compete through 1980, but I did plan to go as a broadcaster, and I was denied that opportunity because NBC was denied the right to, to cover those games. Very interesting. Everybody, make sure to check out Ready, Set, Gold. You can go on the web to readysetgold.net. We've been speaking to one of the best Olympic swimmers of all time. And a Bay Area kid will claim him as our own, John Neighbor. John, thanks for your time, and uh, let's catch up down the road. I'd love to. Delighted. Thank you. All right. Good stuff.